Hey there, and welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, as more and more of us expand into the botanical method aquarium world, it's only proper that more and more of us experiment with different things. Now, being both a hobby-level power user and a erstwhile vendor of botanicals, I can certainly consider myself fairly well-versed on a lot of this stuff. Okay, as well as burst as one could be about adding, you know, twigs and nuts to aquariums, as one of my friends says. And like you, I enjoy a good experiment or two, particularly when it comes to trying new botanical items for use in our aquariums. I'm often approached by hobbyists who found such and such a tree or bush in their yard or while on vacation in Florida or wherever, or from some other online vendor. And they ask me if the seed pods, the roots, or the leaves are suitable for use in aquariums. And honestly, most of the time, I give the same answer if I have not used the item in question. I don't know. Well, shit, that kind of sucks, right? (laughs) I thought you were some kind of expert, Scott. What the fuck? Well, I get it. It's hardly befitting an answer from a guy who, you know, makes part of his living selling botanical items for use in aquariums. I know, but it's the truth. There are around, I think, 400,000 described plant species in the world, and an average of 2,000 new species are described every year. I'm a fish geek, not a botanist, so understanding physical, chemical, environmental impacts of almost any plant is beyond my pay grade, as they say. I can only speak in general terms or based on my own experience with specific materials. To assert otherwise would simply be irresponsible. Yet, I think it's time to shatter a rather monolithic myth of sorts that we've had collectively or that we've collectively created in our little hobby sector. The myth is, you know, only certain tropical leaves and botanical materials are useful in the botanical method aquarium. Enough. The longer that I play with botanical stuff, which is coming on like three decades now, the more I'm starting to think that you can use just about any dried leaf that you can collect in your aquariums. Of course, the qualifier is that the leaves should be naturally fallen and dried, having expended the sugars and other chemicals within their tissues, which can contribute to water quality degradation. And of course, it's a given that you don't want leaves from areas of known agricultural pesticide use or industrial pollution to find their way into your tank. Oh, and of course, using leaves from plants known to be toxic to higher life forms is simply a red line that you just wouldn't want to cross. I mean... Use some common sense here. If a plant is called poison whatever or deadly nightshade or something equally evil sounding, you'd have to be a complete moron to try to use it in your aquarium. And I'm just not mincing words here. You just would be. Now, why am I getting increasingly comfortable with this position about using all sorts of leaves in your tanks? Well, for one thing, it's based on my experience and the collective experience of our global community with using leaves in aquariums. Leaves seem to function the same in aquariums regardless of what tree they come from. Now, sure, some are more durable or are different structurally or aesthetically, but they all sort of do the same thing for the tree that they come from, right? So it goes without saying that they function similarly when submerged. Also, so many leaves of so many varieties of plants fall into waterways all over the world that it seems unlikely that you can only use catapa, guava, jackfruit, or whatever is available from vendors in aquariums. Most of these aren't even found around waterways. Rather, it's stuff like species of ficus and plants like that that you'll find in the bottom of streams and rivers in the tropics, maybe palm fronds. Sure, 
Some leaves likely have greater concentrations of tannins and other beneficial compounds than others do, but I dare say that many of the leaves are similarly comprised, thus making them acceptable for what we do. I mean, live oak leaves from Texas or California are just as useful and beneficial in real-world aquarium applications as jackfruit leaves from India. They just are. Leaves don't have to be from some exotic locale to be useful for our tropical aquariums. Whoa, Felman, you just killed the market for tropical leaves after nine years. No, of course I didn't. I merely said that you don't have to use X leaves from Southeast Asia to have a successful botanical method aquarium. I mean, the past decade was fun for experimentation with exotic leaves and botanicals, but my personal conclusion is that you don't need to buy everything from us or any other vendor or whatever in order to have a successful botanical method aquarium, period. You can create amazing botanical method aquariums with what you can find locally. I'm proud of the fact that I've been saying this for years, but now it's time to really scream it out loud. When I started Tannin, I had a pretty good working knowledge of playing with many of the items that were available in closed aquatic environments. Catapa leaves, for example, uh, those had been used for decades by fish people to impart tannins and other substances into the water, as had guava, jackfruit, and a few other tropical leaves. Now, it just so happens that catapa has been studied pretty extensively by science, and it's generally acknowledged that there are some beneficial substances contained in the leaves and bark, many of which are known generally to have potentially medicinal properties in humans. Now, keep in mind that these substances are present to protect the tree from fungi, bacteria, and parasites, so it's likely a bit of a leap when hobbyists immediately extol the virtues of them as fish remedies. However, flavonoids such as quercetin and camphorol, which are apparently abundant in catapa leaves, are known to have anti-inflammatory and possibly even anti-cancer effects, and anecdotally have been determined to be beneficial to fishes. I actually did come across a laboratory study from the fisheries ministry in Malaysia that determined catapa extract to be useful as a remedy and or a prophylactic for certain fish diseases. So that kind of vindicated some of the anecdotal stuff, at least in my mind. Yet, you see tons of vaguely worded articles on the purported medicinal properties of catapa, typically on websites that, well, sell the leaves. <laughs> and of course, often they're you know, sort of muddy and filled with this wonderful marketing hyperbole and claims about their powers, all of which serve to simply compound the myths that are unfortunately so abundant in the aquarium world about botanical materials. And I can't help but wonder, are there other not so exotic leaves out there around the world that have similar properties? I'll bet that there are. It's just that no one's really gotten around to testing them. Could it be that the main reason that these seemingly exotic leaves from Southeast Asia and other places have been used for decades in aquarium work is because they were simply the most abundant leaves available to adventurous and resourceful hobbyists who happen to reside in those locales? I think so. I mean, if these adventurous souls resided in, I don't know, Cleveland instead of Bangkok or Malaysia, would ash, oak, beech, or whatever leaves are abundant in the local forest be the leaves we use in our aquariums? The mind kind of wanders, right? Does every dried leaf from every tree in nature have some degree of these or other medicinal compounds? I don't know for sure. I think so, but I can't really say with certainty. I honestly don't know who does. It'd be pure speculation to make this leap, right? So we steer clear of this kind of vagueness and rather choose to focus on their use as an ecological base for beneficial microfauna 
as aquascaping materials and as a means to impart tannins and other substances from their tissues into the aquarium water, creating that visual tint and possibly impacting some of its environmental parameters. Those things are typically not disputable with the exception of to what extent they do this. However, personal experience with a wide variety of botanical materials from around the world has made me question the micro dogma that we have in our sector that you absolutely have to use certain tropical species of plant materials to get these effects. Yes, I've spent the better part of three decades seeking out the most exotic botanical materials I could find all over the world, and I've come to the rather generalized conclusion that you could essentially get the same effect in your aquarium with locally or domestically sourced materials as you can with these exotically sourced tropical materials. In the end, the differences may simply be more about form than function. Sure, some just look more exotic. Some do come from regions where our fishes hail. Some are perhaps more you know, regionally, biotopically appropriate than others. But in the end, most any botanical, with the caveats that I've discussed above about toxins and care for where and how they're collected, will accomplish the same damn thing in your aquarium. What are we trying to accomplish with botanicals in our aquariums? Well, we're trying to create a substrate for an underwater ecology, a place for fungal growths, bacterial biofilms, and other microorganisms to colonize and create the basis of a food web and a biological filtration system, if you will. We hope to take advantage of some of the tannins and other compounds bound up in the botanical materials to impact water chemistry as well. And it doesn't take a pongo pongo leaf from Malaysia or a buganki pod from Borneo to do that. It just doesn't. Some of the best and most successful botanical method aquariums I've ever created utilized decidedly unexotic oak twigs and oak leaves. But botanists will tell you that most trees and plants have leaves, bark, and seed pods which contain tannins and other substances. And of course, these can impact the environmental parameters of aquatic environments when they're submerged or steeped in water. To what extent may only be determined by careful field or laboratory analysis, which is something that most of us are simply not equipped, educated, or prepared to do. Some materials may prove to be toxic and uh, other, you know, to other life form if consumed, steeped, or otherwise utilized in the aquarium. Fact. That's just what it is. I can't tell you if that cool seed pod that you found on holiday in Ibiza or your hiking trip to the Appalachians is going to nuke your geophagus tank. Sorry, can't do it. I can only tell you how I'd approach how to find out about it. Try to research what you can. Right? There's this crazy cool site called Google, and they have all sorts of information you can look up. <laughs> and experiment with what you consider expendable, and I gulp, I even cringe when I say that, expendable fishes in a reasonably controlled setting. Yeah, experiment. Risk, chance. It's not for everyone, but if you want to use any old seed pod or leaf, you'll need to experiment for yourself to know for sure. Somebody has to be the first to taste the metaphorical berries, and sometimes they might be deadly. As I've told you for years, every single botanical item which we offer has been tested and fairly extensively in our own aquariums and in those of some of our friends with our own precious fishes. It's the best way to know for sure, in my humble opinion. We didn't just wake up one day and decide to create a business because we found some cool acorns in a tree down the street. We spent years playing with this stuff. And guess what? We've killed a few fishes, very few, along the way. It sucked, but we have killed some. And it wasn't just because the botanicals used were somehow poisonous. It was because we pushed it in terms of numbers of stuff added, using the materials that maybe weren't prepared or just added too much too quickly to an established aquarium. Even with so-called safe stuff, as we've discussed many times here, you can push too hard and too fast and create potentially tragic outcomes for your aquariums. 
There's a technique to using botanical materials in aquariums, a process, if you will. You have to prep them, add them slowly, and observe carefully. We say this over and over to the point where we're probably sick of hearing it, but we'll keep saying it. No matter what you use, where you obtain it from, or what anyone, even myself, says, every aquarium, every fish, every situation is different, and the possible outcomes are always subject to lots of variables. Even proven natural materials can sometimes still have unpredictable results because, you know, nature. We're not entirely in control here. It's as simple as that. Anytime you add anything to your closed aquatic environment, stuff can happen. It's reality, as you know. Some fishes like apistos, betas, and some kerosens are very sensitive to even minute changes to their environment. And even with safe botanicals, you need to go slowly when adding them to an established aquarium because they impact that environment. Our best practices about what to use and how much to use have been developed in our community for many years now. Now, after a while, like anything else in the aquarium hobby, you sort of get a feel for what can and cannot work when it comes to botanicals. You'll sort of look at a seed pod, a leaf, or whatever, and have a sort of a hunch, test them, and usually be very pleasantly surprised. Other times, you'll be shocked that the seemingly innocuous leaves you just added to your test tank have the fishes gasping at the surface. You just can't be sure until you test it yourself. Again, don't want the risk? Don't play with botanicals in your aquariums. Simply as th- simple as that. That being said, if you're fortunate enough to have a, I don't know, a nice oak tree nearby, for example, go for it. Collect and test those fallen leaves, and if they're not harmful, use them in your aquariums. Chances are they'll be totally fine. This is the fun part of playing with botanicals. There's a lot of DIY potential here, but you have to be willing to take the risk. And remember, It's not all about getting the coolest stuff for your tank. It's not about just creating a cool look, although that is a collateral benefit, which we all appreciate. It's about learning and observing and appreciating what botanical materials can do in your aquarium and how they can form the basis of your underwater ecology. After my little sabbatical that I've taken from being active in the business of tannin, It's just become a lot more clear to me that we, and by we I mean vendors and hobbyists, are often placing too much emphasis on the acquisition of stuff, in our case materials with exotic names and some sort of cachet within our niche, as opposed to understanding and celebrating the craft of what the botanical aquarium movement is all about. One of the most amazing things about our practice of adding leaves, twigs, seed pods, and other botanical materials to our aquariums is that they can almost be relied upon to perform a fairly, you know, a fairly predictable manner in our aquariums. The same natural processes which affect the decomposition of an alder cone from Europe impact the Sterculia pod from Southeast Asia, the oak twig from North America, the jackfruit leaf from Malaysia, or the banana stem from Thailand. Colonization by biofilms, fungal growths, and the resulting decomposition which occurs are the same all over the planet. And they're the exact same processes which govern what happen in our aquariums. Think about that for just a second. We receive a lot of questions from our community asking, you know, what botanical is suitable for a tank intended to represent a specific environmental niche or a geographical area. And the answer isn't always as simple as, you know, use this leaf or whatever. The reality is more nuanced, really. We should understand conceptually that the way nature functions is the same regardless of what materials you're going to use to do the job. I know I'm being redundant here. However, it's a really important point, specifically for those of you who are just, you know, hell-bent on assuring yourself that every leaf, twig, and seed pod in your Southeast Asian-themed aquarium is indeed from Southeast Asia. Newsflash, it doesn't have to be. Yeah, unless you live in the area, 
that you're trying to represent in your tank or are really dialed into a good supply of whatever botanicals are native to that region, you're almost always going to have to use stuff that's largely representative of what comes from there. And that's just fine, really. Often I'll come up with an idea for, you know, the aquarium representation of a unique you know, niche habitat. And I'll spend a lot of time researching the ecology and more important to me, the function of the habitat before embarking on my project. And yeah, more often than not, I'll find that the plants, the wood, the leaves, or whatever that I needed to really nail the project in a full-on biotopic manner are simply not available to me. And guess what? That's okay. I don't get stuck on this. I just don't get stressed out about it. You shouldn't either. Contest entries be damned. I'll bet that there are less than a handful of experts in the entire world who judge biotope aquarium contests, who could even make positive identifications of the leaves used in many of these entrance aquariums, especially after said leaves have been submerged for a while, have started to soften, and have recruited a patina of biofilms and fungal growths. So don't stress out over this. Yeah, I receive a lot of emails from fellow hobbyists who are stuck because they can't find leaves or seed pods from that exact plant. And so they dramatically change or even abandon their projects as a result. That's a real shame. A suggestion, if I may, look for some sort of analog. Now, sure, anyone can make dozens of arguments for why a serious biotope aquarium should have only stuff from a given region, but we'd be lying to ourselves if we expected everyone to comply with this dogmatic point of view. Practicality has to reign sometimes. You simply can't get every single leaf or seed pod that's found in a given geographic area for all sorts of reasons. I mean, you should certainly try if that's your thing. We do, and it's kind of a fun pastime for some of us. However, let's keep it fun. And speaking of fun, please don't get swept up into the hype machine that's already forming around our little hobby sector in social media and elsewhere. I don't want this hobby niche that I've helped play a small part in creating to become what the reef aquarium hobby is now, an endeavor dominated by the marketing and acquisition of overpriced, diminutively sized, exotically named collector coral frags. The thought of a proliferation of botanical vendors trying to one-up each other on social media with ever more exotically named and higher priced items, which in reality are often the same stuff everyone else offers or offer little advantage to what's already available other than that they're new and from exotic locales or something. That just frightens me. The gramification of our sector has sort of begun in earnest and it makes me want to vomit. <laughs> I sold my interest in a coral business, a very successful one, a decade ago after coming to that very realization about the hobby sector. I just didn't want to be involved in the dismantling of the enjoyment of the reef aquarium hobby. I don't want that to happen with the botanical movement. The aquarium hobby is expensive, I'll give you that. But I don't think that our little sector needs to be. Creating cachet around certain natural materials is kind of weird, isn't it? And yeah, I think I'm partially to blame for that, and I'm going to put a stop to my participation in making it that way. I absolutely hate I hate when I get an email from a potential customer talking about their planned botanical method aquarium that starts with something like, yeah, and then when I save up enough to order some, you know, whatever pods from you, I'll start this tank. I mean, shit, that sucks. Sure, stuff costs money, but the cost of the botanicals themselves shouldn't be the primary barrier to entry for starting your next botanical method aquarium. I'm not going to contribute to the creation of that barrier. Yeah, stuff costs money, but the value is what we perceive it to be. The reality is... We collectively have to place a greater emphasis on technique and process, sharing our successes and our failures so that we can all learn from them. And on a personal note, I uh, guess a mea culpa of sorts while we're, while we're talking about this stuff, look, I've struggled mentally with this tension between hobby and business lately, probably over the last year. 
and I've really done a terrible job at managing it, managing it, I admit. In addition to taking on a little distracting side project, I stepped away a bit from Tenon for my own sort of health, leaving many of you wondering what the hell was up. And I handled this extremely poorly. And I am only now getting around to really understanding the extent of which I disappointed some people. And I'm very sorry for this. And I'll make it right for all of you. You know I will because I'm part of your community and I want you to be part of mine. So please be patient with me if you can. Reach out to me if you have a question. We'll get you taken care of. Look, as Tannen reemerges from its hibernation, which we'll discuss more in later installments of the tent, I'm going to double down on what got us all to the, to the good part of this hobby. The sharing of ideas, discoveries, processes, and techniques. Building a community of adventurous, bold, like-minded hobbyists. Not simply trying to bring in more stuff and sell and, you know, to sell and create a high-end market for. I didn't intend or want to do that. I never did, but I saw that it was heading in that direction, to be honest. Tannen got a little big, a little too big for what I intended. Really. I didn't like it. Something had to give. I had to break or it would break me mentally. So just be assured, change is coming. Now, this doesn't mean we're going to quit offering botanicals at Tannen or never offer new stuff again. It doesn't mean that I'm against selling anything or making money or growing the company in a positive way. It simply means that we're going to place a greater emphasis on what's really needed right now. Sharing the ideas behind this stuff. More of that. Offering materials that will help you get there without continuously trying to one-up ourselves or other vendors or whatever by seeking to offer every type of botanical material available. Been there, done that. Let them have that headache. I don't want to deal with that anymore. Not worth it. We're going to be offering some staple items from our craft. Stuff that we have come to love, stuff that you've come to love. And we're going to try to keep the pricing reasonable like we always have, but probably even more emphasis on that than ever before while still reflecting the operating costs associated with what we do. I mean, I've got to be able to support my operation. But when I do stumble across something interesting or exotic, I'll make it available to you as I can source it. I'm not going to try to constantly have everything available for you. It's just, it's not good for you. It's not good for me. And quite frankly, it's not good for the hobby. We have to understand to be a little bit self-reliant, a little bit of adventure. We can't just have it, you know, plop online, order the thing, and it comes to you. It's nice, but it'd be fun to have a little more experimentation. Look, I want to continue to make Tannen the clearinghouse for information on the Botanical Method Aquarium rather than the source for everything material-wise. A much more personal business. I want to have fun again. I want you to have fun while being able to afford to do more. It's a real win-win. We'll talk more about collecting your own stuff, using what you've got already, and directing you to alternative sources to find some of the materials that we can utilize in our Botanical Method Aquariums. I think you'll all like that. We're going to continue to offer and develop our our nature-based substrate line, because so many of you have really enjoyed the product, and since I really love playing with and developing these things, and we'll talk more about how substrate materials work in the Botanical Method Aquarium, and yeah, I'll even share a few recipes for making your own similar substrates along the way. And sure, because I just can't help myself, I'm still going to try to develop some more ecology-based products. I have a few in the works that I've played with over the months, sort of to help foster the microbiome that's so important to our work. In the end, it's going to be all about sharing the craft, the love that we have for this crazy cool aquarium hobby sector. It's been an eight-year ride. A lot has happened. A lot's yet to unfold. And the most exciting thing to me is that it feels like I'm just getting started all over again. Thank you for your faith in me and Tannen and the ideas that we discuss here. Thanks for your interest, your passion, your patience, 
and your faith in the processes of nature. Let's continue to move forward together in a positive way. Now the future starts. Stay bold, stay dedicated, stay curious, stay diligent, stay passionate, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tenant Aquatics. Thanks for being a part of my world, and thanks for spending part of your day with me here on The Tint.